Lord God, as we come to the part of the gathering today uh, where we hear your word, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts right now. Lord, to move beyond just a religious experience, to move beyond this just being something that we do at church into being a genuine supernatural encounter with you. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to hear fresh revelation from your word that we'd never picked up on before. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to teach your word as it is and not to add any flavor or color of my own. The people don't need that. So, Lord, I pray you'd help me to be faithful. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill us afresh even now to hear your word with fresh ears. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, verses 14 to 29, Mark chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Now, there's so much to get to in this passage today. There's so many talking points, so many directions uh, that we could head, if I'm honest. And so uh, I'm going to try and be careful to not go down any rabbit warrens. We've got in this passage so much about faith, so much about the possibilities of faith. We've got lots about the development and the maturity of faith. We've also got stuff that we could talk about in terms of spiritual warfare we've got demonic activity we've got possession we've got the power of prayer there's so many things we could get to and so today as we look at this passage together I believe that the Lord wants to speak to us about faith he wants to talk to us and challenge us on our faith 
uh, and talk to us and encourage us really, I think as a church, about what's possible, about what's possible when we increase our faith, when we increase our belief in God. I also think the Lord wants to, again, just speak to us about the development of our faith. You see, faith isn't something that comes to you fully formed, is it? Uh, It doesn't come to you fully formed, but it comes in seed form. And I think the Lord wants to speak to us today about that journey of growing in faith to the point where our faith begins to bear fruit um, and we see it begin to flourish. I also think the Lord wants to teach us about spiritual warfare. I think the Lord would want to speak to us through this word about engaging in spiritual warfare with the demonic realm. Now, there's a lot to be said on this subject, but this is what the passage would have us deal with. So we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about possession. We're going to talk about how we confront that and what Jesus does. So, to get the context again, Jesus is coming off of the high mountain. Do you remember when we looked at the passage two weeks ago about the transfiguration? Jesus is coming back down off of the high mountain, that is, we believe, Mount Hermon, and he's coming down, uh, he's, he's encountering his own disciples. He, Peter, James, and John, having just witnessed Jesus in his glorified form and having just seen with their own eyes Elijah and Moses coming to be with Jesus. It was a foretaste of heaven, a foretaste of the glory that is to come when Christ returns. They're coming out of that encounter and they're being confronted with this argument. There's a kind of clash of two worlds, isn't there, between what we just read and what we're reading now. There's a clash of heaven and a clash of earth. There's arguments happening down here. There's trauma, there's pain, there's spiritual warfare. And so there's such a contrast. And I feel like this is almost a picture of what Christ abandoned or what he didn't abandon but he left behind when he came to earth. We see this picture, don't we? Jesus coming out of his own glory and entering into a world full of strife, full of pain. And we see how much the Lord was willing to lay aside in order to save you and me. Now Jesus comes down and he sees scribes. Do you remember the scribes? Who are the scribes? Remember? There's the scribes and the Pharisees, but who are the scribes? The scribes are like, they're like religious scholars. They're like religious scholars. They're people who were literate. They were very bright They were well read in terms of the law and the prophets. And so these scribes are following Jesus around and generally making a nuisance of themselves. And they are here arguing with the disciples. They're arguing with the disciples and there's a huge crowd of people gathered around. Uh, And Jesus comes down and he asks them, "What, what what are you arguing about? What's going on here? And before the scribes or his disciples can answer him, a man from the crowd speaks up. A man stands up and he says, Jesus, I I brought my son. I brought my son to you. He has this mute spirit with him that torments him. 
and it violently throws him down. It, it casts him into fire and water. It causes him to have seizures. And he says, I, I asked your disciples, Jesus, to, to cast it out, but they, they couldn't. They couldn't cast it out. And in fact, what's even more revealing is that in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, the word that's used here for they could not cast the demon out isn't actually the usual word for ability. It's not they couldn't. Um, the word is actually iskuon, which talks about strength. What the man's saying is they didn't have the strength to cast this spirit out. They actually didn't have the strength to do it. And so you can imagine that the scribes are reveling in this moment. The scribes are loving this. They're absolutely loving it. Here's this Jesus who thinks he's somebody. And look, his disciples can't even cast out this spirit. They're absolutely loving it. The scribes saw the disciples' failure to cast out this evil spirit as a failing, not in the disciples, but in Jesus. Do you know, I think that's how the world looks at the church. The world looks at the failings and the shortcomings of Jesus' disciples in the earth. And what the world does is it projects those failings onto Jesus, doesn't it? It sees the church in her moments of weakness. You've all got friends, haven't you, who aren't Christians. They're watching your life. It's been well said that sometimes our lives are the only gospel that our friends will ever read. And very often they're looking at your life to speak to them of who Jesus is. Now, the truth of the matter is somebody who's very hardened in their hearts very often will do what the scribes are doing here. Which is to look at your shortcomings and to say, because they failed in this area of life, I know Jesus has nothing to offer the world. That's very often what the world will do. It projects our failings onto Christ. And it's an easy trap to fall into, even for churchgoers. Even for us, even for you, even for me. It's an easy trap to fall into. We, we're very prone to let the disappointments that we experience within the church cause us to doubt the faithfulness of Jesus. It's really easy to do. How many of you have been disappointed with the church? Come on now, let's be honest. Now it's very easy to let that real disappointment and real hurt create distance between you and Jesus. I'm speaking from very personal experience here. And we should never diminish or ignore the pain that has been caused by the church because I believe every time we experience a failing or a disappointment in the church, it's actually the Lord doing something in us. It's actually the Lord speaking loudly and clearly about a failing in the church so that we might bring healing in that area. So that we might actually begin to change and reform the church to stop that thing from happening again. I believe the Lord works like that. How many of you believe that? 
How many of you, when you've experienced disappointment at the hands of the church, have made a decision in your heart, Jesus, I'm never going to do that. I want to be an agent for change. Well, that's wonderful. And I would encourage you, wherever you've been hurt by the church is a place in your life where you can bring genuine change to the church. It's an area in your heart that God has given you to say, do you know what? I gave you this experience that was very painful and difficult so that you could be a catalyst for change, so that you could bring a reformation and a change in the body of Christ so that this pain doesn't happen to somebody else. Amen? But we've got to be careful, brothers and sisters, not to let that pain lead us away from Christ. We've got to be careful not to get bitter. We've got to be careful to understand that even though the church is supposed to look like Jesus in the earth. It never looks perfectly like Jesus. Just like the disciples here. They'd cast out many evil spirits before. We read in Mark 6 that they went out and we read in other Gospels that even the demonic spirits were subject to them. This wasn't their first rodeo. But they were failing in this particular moment. You know what? The church will represent Christ in the earth. The church will look like Jesus but she'll never perfectly look like him. Amen? It's been well said. Listen, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Don't join it. You'll only spoil it. That one's for you, Garth. Now, Jesus asks for this boy to be brought to him. And he also has some rather harsh words for the crowd. He answers them. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Very strong words. It sounds rather brutal, actually, if it's directed at this poor father who's just trying to bring his son to be healed. And I've always read those words and thought, woof, you know, I feel punched in the gut by that. Um, but I don't think, this is my view, I don't think those words are actually aimed at the father of the child. Because when we look at the context, what do you need to have in order to bring somebody forward for healing? Let's say you're in a church, we're about to pray for healing, and you bring your child forward for prayer. What do you need to have to do that? You've got to have faith, haven't you, to bring somebody forward to be healed. So there's got to be a level of faith there in the father. So how could Jesus call him faithless? doesn't really make sense. Equally, his own disciples are there trying to cast this spirit out in, in whose name? In Jesus' name, in his authority. So can we really say that his disciples are faithless? It wouldn't really make sense, would it? Who's there in the crowd that's definitely faithless in regard to Jesus? We've already read about them, haven't we? The scribes. The scribes. So... Many scholars, and me too, I would count myself not a scholar, but I would agree with these scholars. Jesus is talking about the scribes, faithless generation. He uses those words a number of times in the Gospels, and it's usually directed towards these false shepherds, the Pharisees, the scribes. As they're bringing the boy to Jesus, we read that the Spirit actually sees Jesus. The Spirit that's in this boy sees Jesus and it says that it immediately convulses this poor child and throws him to the floor and he begins to writhe around his it's a shocking image his teeth are gritted and he's foaming at the mouth and Jesus asks the father how long 
has this been happening to him? And the father says, from childhood, from childhood. And he adds that this spirit has actually tried to kill the boy. He's tried to kill him on many occasions. He's tried to cast him into fire, cast him into water. How traumatic for that poor father to have lived through that. Doesn't that make this man's faith all the more amazing? You know, sometimes the areas where we've experienced trauma, uh, disappointment, pain, those areas in our lives are the places where we face an almighty battle for faith, aren't they? And I would say, look to this father. We'll talk about his unbelief in a moment, but look to this father actually as an example of faith. I want you to see that this man had fought all his life for faith in Christ. And his faith was not perfect, but there was something there. How many of you can hold on to that today? How many of you are like this father in some area of your life? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many of you are facing a fight for faith in an area of your life? How many of you have experienced disappointment, delay, pain? Look to this father, still holding on, still believing. Yeah, it's not perfect, but he's still bringing that issue to Jesus. Now, I want to talk a moment just about what's going on here in terms of the boy's condition and in terms of what the Bible says about this boy's condition because I think we need to be biblical in our understanding of spiritual warfare and illness. Because some scholars, when I read around this text, when I read various commentaries and the thoughts of people much wiser than I, I read some scholars attempting to actually naturalize. Do you know what I mean by naturalize? Rationalize this account by saying that the boy had epilepsy. This boy had epilepsy, they'll say. And certainly the symptoms that we see the boy displaying do seem like epilepsy. It does sound like epilepsy. But I want to say, whatever name you want, you want to give this condition that the boy is suffering from, there is no getting around what the biblical text says. The Bible is very clear that this was not a naturally occurring illness. This was not caused by a sickness, but it was actually the work of an unclean spirit. And that's important to acknowledge. I think that's very important to acknowledge because if there were people in Jesus' day who were possessed by evil spirits, mute spirits, deaf spirits, demonic spirits, then I think that we can be sure that today there are people who are suffering in exactly the same way. I'm not saying that every illness, every person with epilepsy has a demon. That's not what I'm saying. 
The Bible's actually always really careful to distinguish between natural sickness and medical conditions and conditions that are actually brought on by demonic activity. And as Christians, we have to be able to distinguish between the two just as the Bible does. That is to say that we can't go around trying to cast a demon out of everybody that's in a wheelchair. Right? I've seen it done. I've seen Christians that assume that every physical condition is demonic. And that's not how the Bible sees it. Equally, I've seen other Christians assume that there is no demonic activity going on at all. And that every illness that we see is purely naturally occurring. And there's no biblical precedent for that either. And as a Christian, as a pastor, in my short time ministering, I believe that I've encountered people who were being influenced at the very least by demonic spirit. And as you'll know if you've encountered this as well, there's no confusing it with a natural sickness. It's very obvious that this is not just a natural issue, believe you me. Now, the evil spirit had entered the boy as a small child, the father says, and had begun to wreak havoc. I want to say this. If, If an evil spirit, if an unclean spirit can possess a child, which is a horrific idea, doesn't that also mean that the Holy Spirit can fill and indwell a child. Brothers and sisters, how important is it to be play, praying rather for our children, for our grandchildren, for our families, to see the Lord fill and begin to work through our children? Amen? Because there's a spiritual war going on for the souls of our children in this nation. Did you know that? It's never been like this. In about I don't think we've seen this level of demonic activity and an attempt to reach young minds in education like we have today. And the enemy is reaching out, trying to influence our children. We need to be praying for them to encounter God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not influenced by another spirit. And the father of the boy at this point, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, there's another statement in the Bible just like this. Have you read it before? There's a story of a leper. You find it in Matthew 8, verse 2. And the leper says to Jesus, kneels before him, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see how close both statements are together. If you can, have compassion and heal him. And then, if you will, you can. You see how closely they are matched, but they're not the same at all. One man doubts whether Jesus is willing to heal him, but he doesn't doubt Jesus' ability to heal him, whereas the other man doubts Jesus' ability to heal him. And both get very different responses from Jesus. There's actually a slight textual variant. Do you know what a textual variant is? A a textual variant is just a difference in the manuscripts that we have, right? Now, if you've got a New King James or a King James, you'll read in your version that Jesus says at this point, if you can believe, 
If you can believe, okay? All things are possible for those who believe. If you've got another translation, an ESV, NIV, NLT, you'll read something like, if you are able, or if I am able, something like that, okay? Which sounds more like a kind of, it's, it's kind of air quotes. If you can, you know, he's kind of repeating what the guy just said as a kind of way of saying, really? You're not sure if I can? Whereas the King James Version says something more like, if you, it puts it back on the man, if you are able to believe, okay? Now, I think in a sense both readings work together. There's not a false reading and a true one. Um, I think both kind of work together in a sense. Um, Jesus, uh, on one hand, is kind of saying to the guy, he's challenging his faith. Really? If you can? The other hand, he's saying, listen, if you can believe. And I think the both are true. Jesus is challenging his faith and he's calling him to a higher level of faith too. And then Jesus says this incredible thing. He says, listen, all things. You say, all things? All things, church. I know it's warm and we're all tired. All things. All things are possible for one who believes. What's possible? To who? Hallelujah. John Calvin said in his commentary on this passage, It is not the Lord that prevents his benefits from flowing to us in large abundance, but that it must be attributed to the narrowness of our faith, that it comes to us only in drops. What's he saying here? He's saying we can't blame God for the lack of blessing in our lives, for the lack of his power in our lives. He said the blame isn't with God. It's to do with our narrowness of faith. If, if we can broaden our faith in him, then that tap gets opened. The faucet gets opened more and more until we see his blessings flow more and more into our lives. See, Calvin saw what I believe the apostles saw. is that There's a real correlation in the Bible between how much we will put our trust in Jesus and how much we'll actually experience Jesus right? There's a, there's a connection, whether we might like it or not, between our faith and what we actually experience of Christ in and through our lives. It's inescapable in Scripture. And so, this isn't saying literally anything that you could believe is possible. Jesus isn't saying, hey, um, if you climb up on your rooftop and say, I believe I'm a bird, and you jump off, um, you're going to end up in hospital. You're going to need the church to come pray for healing, okay? He's not talking about literally anything is possible, but he's talking about what? All things within the realm of God's promises are possible. Now, that's a big realm. You ever read the promises of God? There's a book of them, actually. Yvonne gave it to me. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but it's a compilation of all of God's promises. It's a fat book. And Jesus is saying, all things within the realm of God's will and promises over your life are possible if we'll believe. Wow. And he says in Matthew's gospel, in the same passage, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. Wow. Turn to the person next to you and say, nothing will be impossible for you. 
you feel embarrassed yet? Praise God. That was the aim. Jesus is saying here, what he's saying to us, church, is that belief in him, faith in him, trust in him, that's literally what faith means. It's trust, a deep trust. It creates an endless realm of possibility. Endless possibility where seemingly immovable objects become movable. That's literally what he's saying. He's not saying go out and look at the Reekin and say, move into Wellington. Although I do think Wellington could be, no, I'm not going to go there. Love Wellington, it's lovely. But he's not telling you that you've got a mandate to go and move the Reekin or uh, Church Stretton. He's, he's telling us something else. He's saying to you, go look for something impossible. Go look for something impossible in your life. Look at it and tell that thing to move in Jesus' name. And it will move. How many of you have got something in your life that's an impossibility? If you don't, I would encourage you to dwell on that question a little longer. Because every single one of you has something that you really think is impossible. It's that area of your life where you've settled for second best. It's that area of your life where you've kind of given up asking Jesus to help you. Right? That's the impossibility. It's the thing that you don't like to be questioned about. You don't want to be prodded on. I've got lots of those things. I've got lots of those things. Some of them are imperfections in my character. How many of you have got imperfections in your character? Right? They're those things that you're really defensive about. If somebody says to you, you know, sometimes, Graham, you, you, can, be really, uh, you can be really abrasive with the way that you speak to people. Right? That's an area where I have said that's impossible. Do you get what I'm saying? Is there an area of your life where you're particularly defensive? Where you don't like to be questioned? There is your mountain. There's your mountain that Jesus is saying, point at that thing and say, be moved. Be moved, okay? Each of us has one of those areas. Now this man, he says, I believe. I believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. I want to ask this. How? How can somebody believe in Jesus but simultaneously not believe in Jesus how's that possible how is that even possible how can faith and unbelief exist in the same heart at the same time isn't that a logical inconsistency well let me say to you you all know how that's true I know how that's true we know it experientially because though we can believe on Jesus for our salvation, we might doubt that he really loves us. Right? We have days where we can believe in Jesus' love for us, but we doubt whether he'll provide for our needs. Right? What we're talking about here is the maturity of faith. This man had belief enough to bring his son to Jesus. But there were still doubts about whether Jesus would heal his son. I think that's something we can all relate to. Okay? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Are there areas that you know you've got unbelief in your life? I love what the man does here. He says, Lord, help my unbelief. Did you know that you can take your unbelief to Jesus? He's not ashamed of it. He doesn't 
rebuke the man and say, get away from me, you sinner, you unbeliever, how dare you doubt me? He actually heals and casts this devil out of his boy. So if you've got unbelief, take it to Jesus. Don't run away. Take it to him. Say, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus casts out this unclean spirit. There's not even a fight. This unclean spirit tries to cast the boy down, tries to hurt him one last time. And this is always what demonic spirits do. The aim is to destroy. The aim is to destroy life, whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, whether it's relational. Demonic spirits are looking to bring destruction. And they often save their worst. They save their worst, demonic spirits, for when their particular subject is closest to meeting Jesus. Right? Have you ever seen this? Have you ever brought a friend to church? Someone who's struggling with alcoholism or somebody that's struggling with another area of their life. And what you'll see is the demonic activity just go off the charts as soon as they start getting near to coming to Jesus. I've seen this time and time again. Um, demons basically are scared. They're, they're, they're fearful. And, and they're, they're scared of what will happen if Jesus comes into the life of this person. And so they up their activity whenever somebody's getting closer to Christ. And that's why we need to keep people in our prayers. It's not, not necessarily that everybody's demon-possessed like this boy. Um, I think that's, that's relatively rare. But I do think that people genuinely can be either possessed. I do think people can be um, oppressed by a demon. I don't believe a Christian can be actually physically possessed by a demon. But I do believe a Christian can experience opposition and real warfare uh, in a spirit realm. And I do believe that a non-Christian can be possessed. Um, so I think this is something we have to acknowledge here in the 21st century, we're going to come into contact with. And they, re- they, they very often up the level of attack um, when people start coming closer to turning to Jesus. But again here, we've got, we've got Jesus casting this thing out. There's no fight. There's, Christian worldview is not duality, right? It's not God, 100% strength, versus the devil, 100% strength. It, the devil doesn't stand a chance when confronted with God, when confronted with Christ. It's not a fair fight. And so we mustn't be scared when we encounter these things. There's no failure with Jesus. The Spirit leaves the boy and Jesus raises him up to his feet. And that's what we see also when people who've previously been oppressed by demons encounter Jesus. They may cause a lot of problems for that person, but guess what? Jesus raises them up to their feet. Just like we read about the demoniac when we began this chapter, when everybody found him seated in his right mind. There's a restorative work that Jesus does in people's lives, changes them radically from the inside out, and they, until the point that they don't even look like the person that they used to be. And then after this happens, we read to close that the, the disciples get Jesus alone. They get him alone and they're concerned. They're like, Jesus. We need to know why we weren't able to cast this spirit out. We've done it before, but why could we not cast this one out? And Jesus answers, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If you've got the King James, there's another textual variant there where it says prayer and fasting. That's in some manuscripts, but in most manuscripts, it's just with prayer. But again, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think, I think both have their merits. Um, and I think both kind of go together 
really. Um, but what did Jesus mean when he said this kind? This kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. Well, some see this as a reference to the fact there are actually different levels of demonic spirits, okay? And that's true. There are. There are unclean spirits. There are demons. In, in this passage, the word uh, daimonion, which is where we get demon from, isn't actually mentioned. Uh, it's called an unclean spirit. It's called a, uh, a numa alalon, which means a, a mute spirit, okay? But demon isn't mentioned. So there are many different levels and types of demon, just as there are different levels and types of angels mentioned in scripture. So it could be a reference to that, that this is a different type of spirit than the ones you've dealt with previously. This is a more powerful spirit, it could mean. Now, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, doesn't he? If you've read that, the armor of God passage, and he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So there seems to be some levels there, don't there, of spiritual beings. And it could be Jesus is saying that, that this is a higher ranking spirit. You needed something else to bring to the table with this. It could be that. Another way of seeing it is that Jesus is really talking about how long this spirit had been inside the boy. Right, the spirit's been there so long, it's kind of made home. And so, you know, it's just kind of well stuck in there. And you needed to really bring prayer and fasting to the table to see this, this demon or unclean spirit cast out. Now, either way, I think it's true. Not every demon is the same. And there are levels. Uh, there are uh, demons that are over whole cities and neighborhoods that are trying to influence and there are demons that are relatively low ranking. Um, that's, that's true in scripture. I think you could argue that. But even with all of that, there, all of these spirits, no matter what their rank, all of them have to submit to Jesus. And we see all of them doing that in scripture. There's no demon that Jesus is like, oh, I needed to pray and fast more. Right? We never see that, do we? Jesus like, guys, I skipped prayer last night. And so uh, we're going to have to just hold out on this demon today. He's too strong for me. Never happens. He binds the strong man every single time. Okay? So no matter what the rank is, Jesus always outranks. And it's never even a fair fight. But for us, on the other hand, it's different for us. Okay? We have the authority and the power of Jesus. But we also need to walk in the level of obedience like Jesus did in order to see breakthrough with all of these demonic spirits, okay? We can't, for example, just rock up, um, not reading our Bibles, not praying, living in sin, kind of backslidden and be like, I can cast that demon out, out in Jesus' name, all right? Because I'll read you a story of what happens when people do that. It's found in Acts 19, verses 13 to 16. It reads like this. Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So unless you want to end up naked and wounded, we first need to make sure that Jesus is our Lord. 
We don't take his name in vain. We don't use him in order to do powerful works. We have to be in relationship with Jesus. There has to be a real flow of relationship there. There has to be the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? That's where the power comes from. A Christian is somebody that has both the authority of Christ and the power of Christ in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, listen, there's there's actually another layer here. There's an obedience. There's an obedience that needs to be there. And that obedience is through prayer and fasting. Why prayer and fasting? Why not study of the word? Prayer and fasting is unique because I want you to think about fasting. When, When you fast, what are you doing? You're depriving your physical body of what it needs and you're relying on God to get you through that. And prayer is the same in a sense, is that you're saying, God, I know that whatever I'm facing in the world right now, I need to lean on you for. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. A lot of us here in Middle England, we're like, I don't really understand that because I pay for my daily bread. I go up Tesco's, it's pound twenty, and I, 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 it's not a problem for me. But did you know that God gave you that daily bread? We don't think that way. Prayer is reliance. Fasting is reliance. So if we want to encounter the demonic realm and we want to see success, then we have to be what? Reliant upon God. We need to be dependent upon him in prayer and fasting. And so this is an encouragement to us as a church that we will face these things. And when we do, we want to be ready to face them. Amen? I hope we're okay. I'm finishing now. Now in conclusion... We know that Jesus is Lord, amen? Jesus is Lord over all spiritual forces and powers. There are none that can withstand him, hallelujah. And as his church, if you're in Christ today, you have been given the authority of Christ. You have been given the power of Christ in his Holy Spirit, wow, to overcome these spiritual adversities, to actually defeat them. Isn't that incredible? And brothers and sisters, there are spiritual forces at work in the city of Wolverhampton. There are powers of darkness. It's not hocus pocus. It's not just projection. It's real. It's real. There are demonic forces at work in this city seeking to undo the work of God and the gospel. And that's why we need to be ready to face that stuff in prayer. Although we might not always be successful, we will grow in success. We will grow so long as we're dependent on him. And I also want to just encourage you again. We see in this passage that the possibilities of faith, the possibilities for you when you believe in God are literally boundless. They're limitless. God's mighty power, we see, is brought to bear. It's brought about by simple faith in our hearts. Wow. So where do you want to see God's power move? Where do you want to see his power touch in your life, in your world? Where do you have areas of unbelief in your life? Can you look to the man who brings his son as an encouragement today? Even though he'd experienced all that pain and trauma, he still brought his son. He hadn't given up. Don't give up, church. Just because your faith isn't complete, just because it might not be mature, Jesus never rebuked him. 
don't give up. Let's stand. I'm just going to invite Yvonne and the worship team to come back up. Now, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would highlight in us this afternoon an area of our lives where maybe we need help with our unbelief. I pray that we would bring that thing to you right now. You know what it is. It's between you and the Lord. Is there an area in your life where you're not fully believing that he can break through? Maybe it's an area of healing. Maybe there's a pain that you're carrying that you're just like, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be with me. Let's bring that thing to the Lord right now. I sense for some that there's actually a grieving. There's grief. It, it might be for someone that you've lost in life, but it might be for something else. It might be for something that happened to you. And we want to bring our grief before him and say, Lord, there can be a better day for me. Maybe you stopped hoping on him for a better day. The Lord says we can have joy in this world. Maybe you've given up hope on joy. Maybe you've settled for being disappointed. There's not good enough. I believe we can stand and say, Jesus, I can live in joy in this world. So we bring those things before your Holy Spirit right now. And as we worship you right now, we're believing that you're going to encounter all of those doubts, all of those areas of pain and unbelief, all of those areas where we maybe haven't believed for healing, we haven't believed for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've settled at the level of anointing that we have in, in the Lord. And there's more. There's more of the Holy Spirit for you today. So Lord, we, we just want you to come and enlarge our faith. We want to say to every mountain, be moved. So as we worship, I just want you to be as if you're alone with the Lord right now and, and just do business with him as we sing together. Amen.